Welcome to the Burn Hickory Podcast, where you can listen to our sermons each week. Our mission is to reach everyone around us with the hope of Christ. And our goal is that you'll find a place where you can learn, grow, live, and thrive in a faith family. Now let's get ready to dig into Scripture and see what God has for us today. Well, good morning. It's good to see you. have you here on uh, winter break uh, week. Glad that you're uh, here. I appreciate Pastor Matt uh, allowing the opportunity to, to preach uh, this morning. And uh, he's, he's away on one of the mission trips. And so the mission trips we have uh, are they're in Kenya and Guatemala. And Eli left off the Sanibel Island group. So there's a group in Sanibel Island, Florida, serving this week uh, as well. And so I appreciate uh, Matt's invitation uh, to do that. You know, this past week was what? What was the big day on, what, Tuesday? Valentine's. Day. You know, I didn't know this till uh, I didn't know that was a whole love week leading up to make, to, to Valentine's uh, Day. So I get to preach on love week. Pastor Chip Paul, student pastor, he always gets shark week to preach on and I get the love uh, week. And so uh, we're going to follow that uh, theme a little bit on love uh, into this message uh, this morning, and you know, uh, Valentine's is all about romantic love and sweethearts and, and that type thing. We're going to look at some Greek words uh, for love from Jesus and from Peter, but uh, the Greek word used for uh, the, the Valentine's romance is eros. It's a romantic love, you know, sweetheart love, a courtship uh, love. And you know, when we were, well, at least when I was small, some of you may be, I don't know, they, they probably don't do it these days unless it's digitally. You know, we'd write the little love notes. Do you love me? Check yes or no. George Strait's even got a song about it. Check yes uh, or no. And then the contours, this is going to take you back some. They've got a song entitled, Do You Love Me? Well, they actually asked the question, do you love me three times? And to the answer after the third, after the third one is conditional. He said, do you love me now that I can dance? And so we're going to look at three questions from Jesus to the apostle uh, Simon Peter uh, this morning where he asked, he asked, Jesus asked Simon three times, Simon Peter, do you love me? And so uh, this is going to be a sort of a, a tail end or a, a piggyback on Pastor Matt's uh, Transformed Lives a series where he did a phenomenal job of walking us through five individuals' callings or experiences uh, with Jesus. I want you to notice in those that they were all uh, different occasions. They, Jesus treated them all differently. He didn't have the same pattern when he dealt with individuals where he healed them or he forgave their sins. He called them to follow him. And so we're going to uh, piggyback on that transformed series and, and the title of the message is Saint P uh, Simon Peter uh, transformed by grace. And so the importance of grace and being changed by grace uh, in our lives. And so uh, just a little background on Peter. If you're new to the church or if you're new uh, to the Bible, uh, Simon Peter was one of the first disciples that Jesus called uh, in his public uh, ministry. And so what we're going to look at in, in John uh, is, is just some highs and lows of that life. Of where he also, at, at, Peter, at, excuse me, at Jesus' arrest and crucifixion, G, uh, Peter denied Jesus three times. And so that was his biggest failure. But he, he did have some highlights uh, on that. He was allowed to join Jesus during the miracle of walking on the water. Jesus come, approaches the boat with the disciples in it, and he's walking on the water. And, 
And Peter says, I want to come. Jesus says, come on. So he walked on the water uh, with Jesus. Another high point, he was used by Jesus to perform healings uh, in miracles, uh, in the Gospels, uh, and in uh, the book of Acts. And he was the first to confess Jesus as the Christ. He said, you're the, people said, Jesus said, who do people say that I am? And Peter was the first one to respond. He said, you're the Christ, the son of the living God. And Jesus told him on that, on that confession, on that confession, I'm going to build my church. And so later, later in Acts, uh, we see Simon Peter as the great preacher at Pentecost where he preached and 3,000 uh, people became uh, believers and were baptized. And that was the beginning. That was the launch of the church. And so Peter's confession, he was allowed to be included in that when the church actually started. So that well, those were just some highlights uh, on that. And then some of his lowlights uh, on that, I've already mentioned the, the main one is his denial of Jesus uh, three times before uh, he was crucified. He cut off Malchus' ear, you know, the Roman uh, soldier in the garden when they came to arrest uh, Jesus. And then on the walking on the water, that was a high point, but it was also a low point because he began to sink. Uh, he sunk down low, under the almost under the water, because he took his eyes off of Jesus. And John 21 is where we're going to be uh, today. And John 21 is the last chapter in the, in the Gospel of John. And it's a very important chapter because, because without this chapter 21, if it had cut off at 20, we would not know about Peter's restoration uh, to ministry. We would not know about Jesus' call for him to, you know, do you love me and what he wants him to do with his life. And so we, we've just gone from the denial and the appearance of Jesus uh, after the resurrection straight to him preaching Acts, and we wouldn't have understood what was going on. And also, uh, John 21 is a, signif a significance there is uh, the, the importance of the number three uh, in, this, in this one chapter there. This was the third appearance of Jesus to the disciples after the resurrection. It's the uh, three times in this encounter with Jesus and Simon Peter. Jesus asked Simon Peter three times, Simon Peter, do you love me? Peter has an answer to each of those questions. Basically, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And then Jesus has three charges after each one of those proclamations of love of what he wants Jesus, of what he wants Peter to do. So today we're going to look at the powerful theme of being transformed by grace. And Peter, Simon Peter was transformed by grace and he was restored by grace. And so we're going to look at just the importance of grace in our lives and in the church. Now grace is defined as the unmerited favor and loving kindness of God toward undeserved sinners. It's not deserved. It's nothing we can do on our own. It's a free gift from God that cannot be earned. It's not deserved and it's made possible through the atoning sacrifice of Jesus Christ on the, Christ, on the cross for us. Grace is God's response to humanity's need for salvation. That's why, that's why the grace is there. Without grace, we don't have salvation. It enables believers to be reconciled to God and experience a new life in Christ. And so have you experienced the grace of Christ in your life this morning? And the, the title, uh, Peter, Saint Simon Peter, Transformed by Grace. Uh, Jerry Bridges in his book, Transforming Grace, he defines transforming grace as this, the grace that not only justifies us, but also works in us to make us more like Christ. 
So that's what a, we're always being transformed into the likeness of Christ. We never arrive until we reach glory, but it's a constant, but we're not transformed once and that's it. The Christian life is a constant matter of being transformed into the likeness of Christ. So that transformation comes through grace and it's not something that we can achieve on our own. So in John 21, Jesus extended grace to Peter by restoring him after his failure in denying Christ. And Jesus met him where he was and extended his grace to him. Now, I don't know if you've experienced a failure like Peter in the denial, but you may have been disobedient or you may have, a, have walked away from your call that Christ placed uh, on your life and, and haven't come back to that yet. So I'd encourage you to do that uh, this morning. My experience, my personal experience, I, I, you know, I was a, became a Christian and baptized in August of 1969 when I was seven uh, years old and went through, you know, grammar school and high school and, and went off to college. And uh, it was my, after my junior year in college at Georgia State University, I went on a trip with Baptist Festival Singers uh, to Europe and was on that trip that God began tugging at my heart or leading me that, hey, I want you to be uh, a minister. I want you to be a full-time minister, a pastor, a preacher of the gospel. And I didn't know what to do with that. I was very resistant uh, to that. Uh, so I came back from that trip and uh, played golf with my dad, who was a pastor, and my three brothers. And I just asked my father, I said, I said, Daddy, how do you know when the Lord's calling you in the ministry? And he said, well, you, you'll just know. He said, the Lord will open doors for you to serve. He'll open doors for you. Uh, and he did. He was faithful uh, in that. And then the next I got, I went home and I got an application for the next year to go to Southeastern Seminary. And that sat in my drawer for years. I finished my first, last, I, I was a, a quarter more of a senior. So I had one more year to go plus uh, a quarter. And, uh, and that next summer, I was a, a Baptist Student Union or BCM now. I always call it BSU. I was a summer missionary uh, and they sent me to Botswana, Africa. Uh, for the summer. It was on that experience uh, that the Lord really affirmed his call on my life to, to, to be in the ministry. And so I came back and had one more uh, quarter at Georgia State, made plans to go to uh, the Southeastern Seminary. And uh, y'all, that, that transition from college to master's degree, especially the seminary, uh, was, it almost broke me. I had a bad first experience, my first semester uh, in seminary. The courses were great, but I just didn't, go, I didn't do good in them. I was on academic probation after my first semester uh, in seminary. And so I began to doubt my call that God, do you really know what you were doing? Why am I here? Why am I in seminary? Why have you called me to be a minister? I don't think that's for me. And so we reconciled that a little bit. I went back after Christmas to the next uh, semester and had a spiritual formations class taught by Dr. Uh, Clemens. And part of that, uh, part of that uh, course, we had to have a, a, what's called a silent retreat where you're by yourself for a whole weekend, you know, studying God's word, praying, meditating, talking with, with God. But on the Saturday morning of that, and, you know, being, you know, just wondering, still wondering, why am I here? Lord, what are you doing? Uh, I read John 15, 16, I believe it is in John where Jesus says, I have not chosen, you have not chosen me, but I've chosen you to go and bear much fruit. And the Holy Spirit used that verse really to knock me upside the head. And God affirmed me, said, I have called you. I have chosen you. I want you to be in the ministry. And so that affirmation, that re 
commissioning, so to speak, or recall on my life as, as one of those spiritual markers. I look back on that experience with Jesus that he did call me into ministry and I, I wanted to be disobedient. I wanted to back away from it, but the Lord called me and he, he recommissioned me uh, to do that. And I did, uh, by the way, I did graduate seminary. I did better uh, those, the, the rest, those other two uh, and a half years, but I had a struggle thing that I let God down or even accusing God of, you know, you don't know what you're doing. I'm going to go back you know, get a job in the business world, but he reaffirmed me and that was transforming grace on my part where he stuck to his call on my life. And I'm just so glad that I was obedient uh, to that. But, <clears throat> but another example of a transition of a person that saved is John Newton. He's the one that wrote the words to Amazing Grace, the hymn, Amazing Grace. And this is what he says about his former life and his current life. He said, I'm not the man I ought to be and I'm not the man I wish to be, and I'm not the man I hope to be. But by the grace of God, I am not the man I used to be. How about you? Can you say that? I'm not the person I used to be before I met Christ because of that transforming, that transformational grace that we've received from Christ. And Jerry Bridges, also in that book, The Transforming Grace, he says this, he says, you are loved and accepted by God through the merit of Jesus. Nothing you ever do will cause him to love you any more or any less. He loves you strictly by his grace given to you through Jesus Christ. Isn't that powerful? Nothing we can do can make Jesus love us any less. Make God love us any less. I mean, we may reject him, we may run away from him, but he loves us because of his grace through Jesus. And so there's three main sections in John uh, 21, and I want to break those down real quick for you. But the first part uh, here, the first point is remember Christ's grace in your life. We're to remember how Christ has worked in our life through grace. And so verse 1 through 12 says, after this, Jesus revealed himself again to the disciples by the sea of Tiberias, and he revealed himself in this way. Simon Peter, Thomas called the twin, Nathaniel from Cana of Galilee, Zebedee's sons, and two other disciples of Jesus were together. And Jesus and, and Peter said, I'm going fishing. And the other disciples said, we're coming with you. And they went out and got into the boat, but that night they caught nothing. When daybreak came, Jesus stood on the shore, but the disciples did not know it was Jesus. Friends, Jesus called to them, you don't have any fish, do you? And they said, no. So Jesus said, cast the net on the right side of the boat, he told them, and you'll find some. So they did, and, and they, were a, they were unable to haul it in because of the large number of fish. The disciple, the one who Jesus loved, said to Peter, it is the Lord. And when Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he leapt, he tied his outer garment uh, around him for he had taken it off and he plunged into the sea. Since they were not far from land, about a hundred yards away, the other disciples came into the front with the boat, dragging the net full of fish. When they got out on land, they saw a charcoal fire there and fish laying on it and bread. And bring some of the fish you just caught, Jesus told them. And so Simon Peter climbed up and hauled the net ashore full of large fish, 153 of them. And even though there were so many, the net was not torn. 
Come and have breakfast, Jesus told them. So none of the disciples dared ask, who are you? Because they knew it was the Lord. And Jesus came, took the bread and, and, and gave it to him. And he said, and did the same with the fish. This was now the third time Jesus appeared to the disciples and he was ra- that after he was raised from the dead. You know, memory, certain things, isn't it amazing how certain things jog your memory or certain uh, scents or smell or, or music or songs, they remind you of something in the past. It may be the uh, you know, smell of your best friend's home or the smell of your home, you know, going back that always remind or a certain smell reminds you uh, of home or, or a song reminds you of a, a special occasion or just uh, one of your favorite songs. Remember where you were when you heard it the first time or your memory when you, what you were doing when something significant happened uh, in history. Uh, you also, you should remember, you should remember when you became a Christian and there's some memories that go along with that. So I want to look at uh, this first part of, of chapter 21, and, and you'll notice some similarities, uh, really some strong similarities between this passage, John 21, and Luke chapter 5, verses 1 through 11, on the similarities of the call and the great catch of fish and, and the call of the first uh, disciples. And so I, I can just imagine that, that Simon Peter and John and these other disciples, they were sort of like feeling like, uh, you know, the great theologian Yogi Berra at one point said, it's, it's like deja vu all over again. It's happening again, and they're remembering that. So Jesus was using their memory, their first call and experience with Christ to what he wanted to reaffirm the call on their life. So the first uh, similarity there is they were fishing. They had gone back to fishing, which was their livelihood before they were called as the disciples. These are all the fishermen, I'm assuming, that were disciples that were with him. Some of the other ones, they could learn to do fish, especially those that weren't named uh, here. But they, they, were, they were fishing. And so that's what they were doing in Luke 5 when Jesus comes upon them. Peter and Andrew and James and John, the partners in the fishing business, he called them. They were fishing or had been through fishing, but Jesus tells them to go out to deep water for a catch, and there's such a great catch, and you know they have to call for help, and the other uh, other men have to come uh, and help them. So it reminds them of that. Uh, but it also uh, they were fishing. They were fishing by themselves. They were waiting on Jesus. Jesus had told them to go to Galilee and wait for him, uh, wait for him for that next uh, appearance. And so uh, they were they were together as a group. They were waiting together. They didn't scatter you know, as, as they did right after Jesus died, they all left. Uh, they all left except for Peter stayed close, even though he denied him, he stayed close to him, but they stayed together. They were fishing together. They were fellowshipping together. They were having, you know, uh, they were eating together. And so this is a side note. This is a good, a good, uh, example of a small group. And so they're, they're doing life together. They're eating together. They're sharing together. So if you have not made your connection with one of our life groups uh, in children or students or adults, I encourage you to have that group experience, that connection for relationship and studying God's word together. So that's a commercial. Thank you. Uh, the next was a great catch of fish. I've already mentioned the great catch in uh, Luke 5. It was a great, such a great number. They couldn't, you know, they couldn't bring it in. They had to have help. And then Jesus calls Peter as, as a disciple, and it says they left everything 
They left the fish on the shore, left everything and followed him. So that was his calling experience. Here they catch a great number of fish, but they're numbered. Here's 153 specifically. And what gets me on this, it said that they, you know, the, the other, you know, J Peter jumped in the water and the other, uh, other fishermen, they were bringing the catch of fish in with the boat. But then when Jesus says, come uh, and eat breakfast, Peter goes and gets the net of fish and, off and carries it up to the fire himself. And so that's, uh, that's an experience there. He wanted to be close to Jesus. He couldn't wait uh, to get there. The next uh, similarity or a reminder is the charcoal fire. It says they got all, they got, went, to board, uh, went to Jesus. He had cooked them breakfast on a charcoal fire. And that, that term charcoal fire is used one other place uh, in John or in all of scripture. And that is in, uh, in John 18, 17 through 18, right after the first denial of Simon Peter. It says this, it says, then the servant girl who was the doorkeeper said to Peter, you aren't one of this man's disciples too, are you? I am not, he said. And now the servants and the officials had made a charcoal fire because it was cold. They were standing there warming themselves and Peter was standing with them warming himself. And so I'm sure that that charcoal fire, he had a tinge of remembering that he had, you know, that last time he saw a charcoal fire or is referred to in scripture was right after he had made that first, first denial of Christ. And so on that charcoal fire, Jesus fed, he cooked them breakfast. So here Jesus, the resurrected Christ is still serving those men that he called as his disciples. He said, come have breakfast. I've cooked it for you. So he fed them. And so the, it says, Jesus came, took the bread and gave it to him. He did the same with the fish. And what's that remind you of? Think about uh, at the, on the Thursday when they had the Lord's Supper with the disciples. What did he do? He said about the same thing. He broke the bread and gave it to him. Mark 14, 22 says it this way. As they were eating, he took bread, blessed it, broke it, gave it to them and said, take, eat. This is my body. So the Lord's Supper reminded them of that last meal that they had with Christ before he was crucified. And Jesus also said, we're to remember at the Lord's Supper. He said, remember me. This is my body. This is my blood given for you. Remember that. And so here I'm sure they remembered, they remembered that instance. The second, uh, second part of this of this John chapter one, the second point is that restored by grace. We've been called by grace and maybe even restored by grace. Simon Peter was restored by grace. In verse 15, it says, when they had eaten breakfast, Jesus said, ask Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Yes, Lord, he said to them, you know that I love you. Feed my lambs, Jesus told him. A second time he asked him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Yes, Lord, he said to him, you know that I love you. Shepherd my sheep, Jesus said. Verse 17 said, he asked him the third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And Peter was grieved that he asked him the third time, do you love me? And he said, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. Feed my sheep, Jesus responded. So not only did Jesus extend grace to Peter here, he also demonstrated his love for him by asking Jesus how 
how he loved him. Jesus asked Peter three times if he loved him. Three times. Would that annoy you? Some of us don't like questions or go that deep with questions. But he had the opportunity to answer and to express his love to him. So love transformed Peter's heart and he went from being a disciple who, who was prone to make this mistakes and put his foot in his mouth to a disciple who loved Jesus with all his heart. So each one of these questions, you know, that was a, the, the, there was a question from Jesus, there was a response from Simon Peter, and then there was a charge from Jesus to Peter. And let's look at those real quick because they're, they're, each a little, they're each a little bit different. The first question, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Uh, the Greek word for love that Jesus used here is agapeo or agape is a different form of that. And that's a sacrificial love, a selfless, unconditional love that seeks the highest good for another, uh, another person. It's the highest form of love. And so the same word is used uh, for love, agapeo, in the great commandment in Matthew 22, where Jesus responds uh, to the lawyer, to the person, the teacher says, you know, what's the first and greatest uh, commandment? Jesus said, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind, and second is like unto it, to love your neighbor as yourself. So we're to love God wholeheartedly and love our neighbors unconditionally. That same word for love is used in the great commandment. And so it, it, it involves giving our complete devotion to Christ and surrendering our will to Christ. And so looking at this, uh, Jesus is asking him, do you really love me, Peter, at the highest possible level? Do you really love me unconditionally? Do you really love me in the fullest sense? And so he says, do you love me more than these? There are three possibilities for that, what these mean here on that. The first one could mean, do you love me more than these things that you've gone back to? Do you love me more than your fishing vessel? Do you love me more than fishing? Do you love me more than this or that, whatever you fill in the blanks? What do you love more than these? What do you, Jesus, what are the these that you love more than you love Jesus? It could be your family. It could be sports. It could be your pursuit of a career. It could be uh, another person, a teacher or a leader that you give more devotion to them than they do, than you do to Christ. What are these things that have taken the place of the highest form of love for you? They've taken, they've knocked Jesus off the throne as Lord of your life and they've taken the place as the most important thing in your life, your passion, your desire. What are the things that you love more than Jesus is what he's, what he's asking? Or another possibility, number two, is do you love me more than you, than you love these other disciples? Do you love me more than you love these other men that you've given your life for the last three, three and a half years? Is your relationship with them, do you love me more than you love these guys? And so Jesus', Jesus word uh, is agape, a highest form of love. And, and, and Peter's response uh, to that is, is phileo. But the next, that goes to the, third, to the third question. It's probably the correct uh, thing. Most th theologians and commentators agree with this. But do you love me more than these other disciples love me? Do you really have the high, do you love me more than these other 
friends, these other disciples love me? Is that what you're asking? So uh, it's, it's a tough question. And Jesus, and, and Jesus asked the question and Peter responds said, Lord, you know, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. That's the first response. But here, uh, Simon Peter doesn't use the same word for love that, that Jesus does. Simon Peter uses the word phileo, which is a brotherly love, an affectionate uh, love, warm affection or friendship love. And, and Peter's basically saying, yes, Lord, you know that I have strong affection for you. Not that highest love, but I have strong affection for you. And so Jesus responds to him, his charge to him is feed my lambs. This is what I want you to do. And he's referring to, to, to young Christians, not the actual animals. He's talking about the flock of God, the, the young lambs and then the sheep. So this is what I want you to do. I want you to feed and take care of the most vulnerable, the youngest, the smallest, the most vulnerable in life, the most prone to wander, the most delicate. That's what I want you to do is take care of my lambs. The second question is pretty much the same as the first from Jesus. Simon, son of John, do you love, do you agape, agapeo me? Do you love me with the highest form of love possible? And, and the second response is, Peter said again, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Yes, Lord, you know I have strong affection for you. Yes, Lord, you know I love you like I love my friends. He said, I'm loving you as much as I can offer. I'm not going to claim to have the highest love for you because that's where I failed when I denied you. I'm not going to make that same mistake. This is all I can love you. This phileo is what I can love you with. That's the highest I can go. And Jesus says, you know, it doesn't bother me. He says, the, the second charge is shepherd my sheep. So he says, feed my lambs. First time, then he says, shepherd my sheep. Again, that's the flock of God. Take care of them, guide them, lead them. And he's saying, that's, go, that's gonna be your calling. So no more fishing. From now on, I want you to shepherd my sheep. The third question, very similar, but it's a different word used for love. Jesus says, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And this time, Jesus went down to Peter's level where he could connect to him and said, do you really phileo me? Do you really have strong affection for me? And Peter said, yes, Lord. His response, yes, Lord, you know that I have strong affection for you. And Jesus said, uh, Jesus said, feed my sheep. So feed my lambs, shepherd my sheep, and feed my sheep. Jesus still loved Peter, but he got a, made a connection on him that he was restoring him from that failure where Jesus, he, he experienced the grace of Jesus in that and giving him a recommission or a restoration of what he wanted him to do. For he was forgiven, restored, and given a new purpose in life. Those three things. He is no longer defined by his past failures, but his love for Jesus and his commitment to serve him. And the third section uh, here is uh, he was Saint P uh, Simon Peter was recommissioned by grace. He was recommissioned by grace. Verse 18 through 21, 22 says, truly, I tell you, when you were younger, you would tie your belt and walk wherever you wanted. But when you grow old, you will stretch out your hands and someone else will tie you and carry you to where you don't want to go. And he said this to indicate that by what kind of death Peter would glorify God. And after saying this, he told him, follow 
me. So that's his charge. That's his recommission. Follow me like he did when he first was called in, in Luke 5 or in Matthew and Mark at the first calling. Follow me. And then verse 20 gets sort of a, a sidetrack. He says, so Peter turned around and saw the disciple Jesus loved following them. The one who had leaned back against Jesus at the supper and asked, Lord, who is the one that's going to betray you? When Peter saw him, he said to Jesus, Lord, what about him? What about John? What's going to happen to him? And uh, I think Jesus' response is pretty, uh, I mean, very sarcastic, I think, but pretty humorous. If I want him to remain until I come, Jesus answered, what is that to you? That is none of your business. You follow me. You don't worry about anybody else's call on that. Then Jesus recommissions Peter in his call to follow me. What he's talking about in this passage about Peter says, you're going to grow old and you're going to be tied up and taken to where you don't want to go. Jesus was telling him, you're going to die for me. You're going to, have, you're going to live to an old age, but you're going to die for me. You're going to be crucified. And the early church fathers and historians and theologians confirmed that Peter did, was crucified, you know, for Christ's sake in Rome. Uh, and that he, uh, uh, he was crucified, but he requested, uh, tradition is he requested that he, he did not want to be crucified in the manner of his, Christ, of his Christ because he was unworthy. He, he asked to be crucified upside down. And tradition has that, uh, that that's what happened. So Jesus here again, he was recommissioned and told Jesus to follow him. And so they, they remembered that, and that was a recall because back in the early days of the calling, Jesus said, follow me. Luke 9, 23, Jesus puts it this way. He says, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross daily, and follow me. And David Platt, according to that scripture, he says this is a summons to lose your life and find new life and ultimate joy in him. Jesus says, if any man desires to follow me, he's got to deny himself, take up his cross and follow me. And that cross is not a burden to bear. That cross is you come and die. You give yourself, you die to self and you follow me. And then goes on and you know, he, he, he says that about, uh, about John. He says, you follow me. Don't worry about him. You follow me. We need to focus. That's the focus that our Lord wants. Follow me. Don't compare yourself with somebody else. Well, I'm doing better than they are. Or what, what, what's going to happen to them? You have to be obedient to the call that Christ has put on your life. And not worry about if somebody else is doing theirs or not. You've got to be obedient to the call Christ put on, our, put on your life and our lives. So the application uh, here, what does it mean? To follow Christ, really three, uh, three areas uh, for that. One is we follow Christ with faithful, faithful obedience, an unshakable obedience, immediate obedience, not delayed obedience, but faithful, immediate obedience to follow Christ and his call on our life. So we've got to be obedient to the commands that he puts on us. The second characteristic of a follower of Christ is unwavering love for Christ. Unwavering love. You don't lose your love for Christ. You don't doubt your love for Christ. Christ loves you unconditionally and you're to love him with your whole heart, mind and strength. 
So an unwavering love for Christ. And then the third one is a passionate commitment to Christ. You're passionate about your commitment to Christ. Your passion for Christ lets you have a passion to commit yourself to Christ. His, Peter's commitment to Jesus was unwavering and passionate even unto death. So it's a different Peter, Simon Peter in Acts, than it was in the Gospels. And so Jesus predicted, said, you'll live to be an old man, but you're going to die. You're going to give your life. You're going to die for my sake. So having a passionate commitment for Christ. And, and I want to close with this illustration from uh, Pastor uh, uh, Jan Hedinga in his book, Follow Me. He shares an experience about a, a, a gentleman he had been counseling. It came to him uh, and frustrated and had this following conversation uh, with him. He, said, he tells of one evening after leaving a singles men's Bible study that one of the men followed him into the, obvious, into the office obviously upset with himself. And he quotes the guy, he says, you probably wouldn't understand the shock of this, but tonight I realized that I was a believer, but not a follower of Christ. Intellectually, I don't have a problem with what scripture says or what the material in scripture is, well, but permitting it to actually change me, well, that's a different matter. That's a different story. And Pastor Hedinger responded to him and says, Brother, believing is a spectator sport. Following is what makes you a player. Following is where the cost of commitment shows up. Following means not my will, but thine be done. It means submission to our Lord's leadership of our lives. And that always means dying to self-control. So are you following Christ? Are you just a spectator? Are you following Christ and then you're letting his words, you're letting the truth of the gospel penetrate your life and help and experience a transformation of grace? This guy says, uh, he says, but matter of, of letting it change me, well, that's a different matter. What does Christ need to transform in your life? This morning, have you experienced transformational grace in your life? Is Christ sufficient for you, or do you are you pursuing these other things that you may love more than you do with Christ? So let me ask you a question: Have you been transformed by the grace of God? Do you love Jesus more than anything else in your life? If you haven't today, I would plead with you to surrender your heart to Christ, to surrender to the love of Jesus, to the grace of Jesus. Have you realized today that maybe you're a believer, but not a follower? We're gonna have a response time and as you consider that one, have you, have you trusted Christ as Savior? As a little sister was baptized, that's the first act of obedience after you become a Christian. Symbolize that you're a follower, you're a believer in Christ, and you've surrendered your life to Him. How are you living your life through transformed grace? Or are you living a defeated life? So we're going to have a response time. Uh, I'll be down 
uh, here by the Next Step banner, we've got deacon decision counselors and also prayer team. And the same up in the classic with Pastor Chip and deacons and prayer uh, are up there. What is your response to the grace and love of Christ today? Father, we're grateful for the power of your love. We're thankful for your grace in our lives. And Father, help us to know with confidence that we love you with our whole heart, soul, mind, and strength. And Father, that we are a follower. We've accepted the call to surrender our lives, to die to self, and to follow you. For us in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Thanks for listening to this week's sermon. Were you inspired? Maybe you've got questions. Do you want to know more about Jesus? Then we'd love to hear from and connect with you. So take the next step with us by visiting burnthickory.com next. Again, thanks for listening. And hey, stay tuned by subscribing and stay up to date by downloading the Burnt Hickory app.